Ukraine's president joins European leaders in Spain for a forum heavily focused on solidifying their support. We have to win in Ukraine so that Putin can scale this aggression to someone, someone else, and it is realistic. That's why the key things are our unity. The unity and solidarity of all of our Europe must be unwavering. Plus, new polling on where Americans stand on continued aid for Ukraine. I imagine most Americans didn't expect the war to last this long. And later in the program, what started as temporary looks like it could be permanent for thousands of Russian citizens who fled to Armenia to avoid being sent to fight in Ukraine at the start of the war. Today is Thursday, October 5th. From the Voice of America, this is Flashpoint Ukraine. Good evening, I'm Lori London in Washington. Almost 50 European leaders used a summit in the southern Spanish city of Granada on Thursday to stress that they stand by Ukraine at a time when Western resolve appears somewhat weakened. Here in the European Union, we're working on a package of 50 billion euros for Ukraine for the years 24 to 27. This is very important because Ukraine needs predictability and reliability in the direct budget support. Um, as far as I oversee the situation in the United States, I'm very confident um, of support for Ukraine from the United States. Uh, what the United States is working on is the timing. EU Commission President Ursula von der Leyen referring to the U.S. Congress cutting billions of dollars in aid for Ukraine in a last-minute deal to fund the U.S. governments. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky, also attending the meeting in Spain, did express confidence in continued American support. As for political storms, I'm confident in America, confident and they are strong people, strong society with strong institutions, strong energy of democracy. And I was recently in Washington, talked with President Biden. I talked to congressmen from both parties, both chambers. They fully support the defense of freedom and understand that it is Russia and other enemies to our way of life who want to ride such political storms. And Zelensky gave an emotional plea for solidarity as the once steadfast opposition to Russian President Vladimir Putin has shown cracks because of internal strife within the United States and the European Union. Let only Putin's ambitions be ruined, not our countries, not our people, not our cities. Children of every country deserve to be secure and everywhere in the country, not just in the subway, not just in the shelters underground, but everywhere. Meanwhile, as President Zelensky traveled to Spain to attend the summit and drum up support from the country's allies, Russia conducted several massive attacks, including one that hit a cafe and killed dozens of civilians. For an update, I spoke with Anna Chernikova in Kiev. Anna, this is one of the deadliest attacks we've seen in recent months. What's the latest? What are you hearing? Another terrible shelling happened during the day in the Kharkiv region. At least 50 people were killed, including a six-year-old boy, as a result of a Russian attack on a grocery store and a cafeteria in the village of Hroza, which is in Kharkiv region. According to the Ukrainian Minister of Internal Affairs, the Russian uh, forces used Iskander missile for this attack. Also, according to their report, there was no military personnel in that area. Uh, Russian uh, Russian rocket hit the premises of 
uh, of the cafeteria where a buried resident of the village was commemorated. Rescue operation on the site is still ongoing. Also, a Russian drone attack happened over the night with the use of 29 drones. Ukrainian air defense forces reported that they destroyed 24 out of 29 Shahed drones that Russian forces used to attack Odessa, Mykolaiv and Kirovograd regions. As a result of this night attack, an infrastructure facility in the Kirovograd region was hit. However, no casualties were reported. Meanwhile, the UN is out with a report on a previous Russian attack. Anna, what can you tell us about this and why did the UN focus on that particular attack? The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights has collected information regarding the explosions on the night of July 28 to 29, 2022, in the colony near Olenivka, where Ukrainian prisoners of war were kept by Russian forces. Russian side accused Ukraine in the attack with the use of HIMARS missile, while Ukraine accused Russia in a terrorist act against Ukrainian prisoners of war. A recent UN report on the attack indicates that even a single HIMARS missile would have caused more serious damage. The size of the crater and the radius of the damage are not typical for HIMARS ammunition. Also, witnesses told the office that they heard multiple explosions. Among the new details are the video and photo footage of the destroyed barracks. Uh, it demonstrated a point of impact inside the west wall and two possible points of entry through the roof. The pattern of damage appears consistent with the indicated munition traveling in the east-west trajectory. The Office of the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights also adds that the detaining state is responsible for the safety of prisoners of war and in the event of their death or injury has to conduct an immediate official investigation. However, Russian Federation has not fulfilled these obligations. Anna Chernikova reporting for VOA from Kyiv. And a statement released by UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres Thursday said, quote, the Secretary General strongly condemns today's attack, which reportedly killed at least 49 people and injured several others in the Kupiansk district of Kharkiv region of Ukraine. Attacks against civilians and civilian infrastructure are prohibited under international humanitarian law and they must stop immediately. Well, following the dramatic ousting of Republican Kevin McCarthy from his role as U.S. House Speaker just days after the Congress ditched provisions for further funding of Ukraine, President Joe Biden said he will be delivering a major speech to convince the American people to continue supporting Ukraine in its defense against Russia's invasion. White House Bureau Chief Patsy Wiedekuswara has this report. As Ukrainian soldiers grind through their counteroffensive, the Pentagon warned that without action from Congress, funding to support the effort against Russia's invasion could run out in months. On Wednesday, President Joe Biden said he will deliver a major speech to persuade the American people to stay the course. I'm going to make the argument that it's overwhelmingly in the interest of the United States of America that Ukraine succeed. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre declined to provide further details on the president's speech, but acknowledged in response to VOA's question that American public support is waning. Yeah, we see the polling and we get that, we understand. But we also believe that it is fundamentally important to our own national security as well as, uh, as supporting the brave people of Ukraine to continue that support. On Tuesday, just days after the U.S. Congress ditched provisions for further Ukraine assistance in a deal to avert a government shutdown, Republican Kevin McCarthy was ousted as House Speaker. 
Jim Jordan, the first Republican to publicly declare his intention to succeed McCarthy, said Wednesday he is against an aid package for Ukraine. The most pressing issue on Americans' minds is not Ukraine. It is the border situation and it is crime on the streets. Other potential candidates include number two House Republican Steve Scalise and Kevin Hearn, chair of the Republican Study Committee, the largest Republican caucus in the House. House Republicans plan to meet Tuesday for a first round of internal party voting. A lapse in funding could impact Ukraine's battlefields and embolden Moscow, said Luke Coffey, a senior fellow focusing on foreign policy at the Hudson Institute. They're very hopeful that this continued chaos uh, stays in the United States and that there isn't any funding for Ukraine. Ukraine's Foreign Minister Dmitry Kuliba said Monday he remains confident about U.S. support. Patsy Widakuswara viewing news at the White House. Meanwhile, according to a new Reuters Ipsos poll, support is falling among Americans for supplying Ukraine with weapons, which relies heavily on U.S. arms to fight against Russia. I spoke with Dina Smeltz, senior fellow with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and the lead author of a separate poll that had similar findings. So a lot of it depends on where you start in your analysis of public opinion. Since the start of the war, our first survey was in March 2022. Support was really high when the invasion was fresh and surprised everyone. Eight in ten Americans overall supported economic assistance to Ukraine and also to sending additional arms and military supplies to Ukraine. Since then, it's dropped differentially across different partisan groups, but overall it's um, six in ten now, so from eight and ten to six and ten. So if you look from that time period, yes, it's dropped. But the biggest drop really occurred between July 2022 and November 2022. Now, the most recent numbers are, are a little bit less, a couple percentage points less than they were in November, but not really big drop. So I would say support has been consistent over the past couple months, and the biggest drop occurred from the start of the war till now. And I think that makes sense when I imagine most Americans didn't expect the war to last this long. Certainly, our own experts thought that Russia would kind of overwhelm Ukraine Ukrainian defenses in a couple of days or weeks. So the longer the conflict drags on and it doesn't seem clear to Americans that Ukraine is gaining an advantage, then probably support will drop if Americans themselves don't perceive how our assistance is making things better for the Ukrainian defense. What about how the public feels about the U.S. support for as long as it takes, even if it do they see that as a worthy cause to stick with it for as long as it takes? One thing important to keep in mind is that there are big differences between the different partisan supporters in the United States. So I'm just going to go back to support for economic and military assistance. The real drops have pretty much occurred uh, mostly among Republicans, the Republican Party supporters. Those are where we see the big drops, and that's what kind of drags down the overall numbers. There have been drops across, but the most dramatic differences are among Republican Party supporters. And that's the same for the question about should we support Ukraine for as long as it takes. It's about 50-50 now, half support the United States supporting Ukraine for as long as it takes if that means higher prices for uh, American households and half say no we should urge Ukraine to negotiate with Russia because basically they don't want to keep the prices for American consumers going up so right now that's a, a little bit of a drop from it was at 6 in 10 in July 2022 then in November it dropped to half and it stayed at half so again not a big shift from November 
September till now. So for the past year, it's been pretty steady. But the big drop there occurred among Republicans. 50% of Republicans in July supported continuing aid for Ukraine for as long as it took. And now that's at 30%. Democrats are down just a tiny bit, seven percentage points since July. And independents shifted more in the November timeline and now are the same as they were in November. President Biden is planning on addressing the American people about what he sees as the critical importance of sticking with Ukraine in relation to the world and national security and security abroad. Did any of the survey tap into whether or not Americans see that as an important factor in sticking with it? Or was that out of the range of the questions? We didn't ask those questions this time, but in our November survey, we did. And Americans felt that the example of Russia invading Ukraine could embolden other autocratic countries to basically try to make territorial grabs from other countries that they have a claim to. So prime example would be, and we did ask about this too, that the majority thought that it might make it more likely that China would try to invade Taiwan. So we definitely saw that in the November survey when we asked our large majorities. This time we asked whether the fact that the United States is making a great show of support for Ukraine will deter other potential aggressors. And it was a little more mixed. And we also saw that there was some kind of relationship with those people who didn't think it was showing aggressors that the United States would act if there was uh, a similar action on another on the part of another country. If they didn't think that that was an effective deterrent, then they also were less likely to support continued assistance to Ukraine. So there is a relationship there. But certainly in our November poll, we saw that, that the example of the United States helping Ukraine in its defense was a show to other aggressors around the world that we wouldn't just stand idly by. So overall, would you say the key findings show that American support is still there, but it's it's falling? And should that be an alarm bell for Kiev? And in your experience with polls like this, do they usually continue to sort of move in the same direction? I don't think it's an alarm bell. And one thing I wanted to mention, too, is that the support for assisting Ukraine for as long as it takes is higher, much higher, a majority, if the question wording does not include something about prices for American consumers. So that was what really drags down continued assistance for as long as it takes or indefinite support. So that's one thing that detractors of U.S. assistance to Ukraine in Congress or wherever they may be can hammer in this message that, oh, this is causing higher prices for Americans. So that might pull down some support. But if you don't include include that in the question wording, the support is much higher. So I would say people are reacting or responding to different types of messages that they get from political leaders, from journalists, from you know the president too. So if they focus on being a threat to democracy around the world, that will activate a certain number of people. But then people who hammer in that this is increasing prices for American consumers, that's going to get a different response. So those are just important things to keep in mind. But overall, I would say our surveys, when we look at the questions that we've asked since the start of the war, yes, it's down from the very high percentages, but there's still a really solid majority of Americans that understand this is important for peace in Europe and for the United States' security. But there is a group of Republican Party supporters that have lost 
lost some interest in the assistance, probably think it has gone on longer, and worry perhaps about our own security. And Republicans tend to be very focused on threats to the United States' physical security. So they may think we're focusing too much on Ukraine and perhaps losing sight of U.S. priorities, which is something that a lot of the renegade Republicans in the House have used in their messaging that Ukraine is kind of distracting U.S. priorities away from domestic problems at home. So I think that basically the loss of support that we've seen so far has been primarily, not only, but primarily or largely among the Republican electorate and as well as some Republican leaders in Congress. Dina Smeltz, Senior Fellow with the Chicago Council on Global Affairs and one of the authors of this polling. We thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're listening to VOA's Flashpoint Ukraine. I'm Lori London. NATO's most senior military official has warned that European ammunition stocks are running short as the West continues to send large amounts of military aid to Ukraine to fend off invading Russian forces. Henry Ridgewell reports from London. Ukrainian forces are firing several thousand artillery shells every day at invading Russian forces. Much of the ammunition is supplied by Kyiv's Western allies. As the war enters its 20th month, the chairman of NATO's military committee, Admiral Rob Bauer, warned Tuesday that supplies are running out. We started to give away from half full or lower warehouses in Europe. And therefore, the bottom of the barrel is now visible. And we need the industry to ramp up production in a much higher tempo. And we need large volumes. Both Europe and the US have outlined plans to ramp up weapons production, simultaneously replenishing munition stockpiles and supplying Ukraine will require clear signals from Western political leaders, says defence analyst Simona Saw of Britain's Lancaster University. There is a lot more that can be done from that level to communicate that this effort is not a temporary surge, but rather it's a sustained, potentially longer-term effort. We're talking about billions of dollars that need to be invested in this. The Pentagon said this week there is just $1.6 billion left of the $25.9 billion that Congress provided to replenish U.S. military stocks that have been flowing to Ukraine. The United States has given an estimated $46.6 billion of military aid to Kyiv since Russia's February 2022 invasion. The European Union has given almost $27 billion and Britain an estimated $7 billion worth. But boosting production takes time. Again, Simona saw. I mean, it takes on average between two and four years to set up a new production line for 
uh, uh, high-intensity military equipment that you need in Ukraine. Uh, same thing goes for, for munitions. We're talking about hundreds, potentially thousands of people who need to have very, very niche skill sets to be employed in this um, uh, in this undertaking. Analysts say there is growing concern among Kyiv's supporters that upcoming elections in the United States and Europe could undermine Western unity on support for Ukraine. The US Congress passed a last-minute stopgap funding bill Saturday to avert a government shutdown, but it did not include any new aid for Ukraine. US President Joe Biden has vowed to continue American support for Kyiv. Henry Richwell, VOA News, London. More than 100,000 Russian citizens, many of them young people, have gone to Armenia to flee Vladimir Putin's repression or avoid being sent to fight in Ukraine, an exile that many of them believed was temporary but now is starting to look permanent. Elizabeth Cherneff narrates this report from Ricardo Marquina in the Armenian capital, Yerevan. These Russian men and women meet in a cultural center in the Armenian capital to do something that in Russia would land them in jail, openly discuss the political model they want for a future Russia. Starting last year, thousands of Russian political refugees arrived in Yerevan to escape Russia's repressive climate. Integration in Armenia is relatively easy since many Armenians speak Russian. The first arrivals were largely young people with information technology professions that allowed them to work remotely. The profile of those coming changed when it became clear that Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine would be prolonged and military conscription widened. When the mobilization began, many men arrived of many ages from 18 to 60 years old. Since in Russia, they can take you to war no matter how old you are. And the vast majority of them were people who did not have an IT profession. One of the thousands of men who received a conscription order was Arsen Omarov, a telecommunications technician who was fired from Russian public television after leaking documents in which he appeared to be affiliated with the opposition leader Alexei Navalny. After getting the conscription notice, he got his motorcycle ready for the 2,200-kilometer ride from Moscow to Yerevan. My motorcycle had broken down. The engine was at home, the chassis and wheels in the garden. When I returned home from work, I repaired it, put the engine in. At nightfall, I shined some lights on it so I could work on it, and at dawn, I left. For those who fled Russia and left their jobs behind, the fight is on for economic survival. But necessity breeds creativity, and this group of theater artists work to put together the premiere of a play that satirizes the Russian political structure. As a result of their work, they can raise their families in a new country. Working in Russia during a time of war, censorship and propaganda would not have been compatible with their moral positions. I believe that in the context of the war, there would be no space for cinema or theater in Russia. But the state is spending a lot of money on it, and many people who did not work before now have jobs. However, I cannot work on these projects, which are almost all propaganda. For many Russians who have fled, the question is always the same. To return or not to return. 
Of course, not while there is a war or while the same people remain in power. Returning is not an option. The war has pushed out many young Russians who oppose Putin's policies, casting them across the Eurasia region, an entire generation forced to choose between what they see as an unjust war and exile. For Ricardo Marquina in Yerevan, Armenia, Elizabeth Chernev, VOA News. And that'll do it for us today. Stay up to date with continuing coverage of Ukraine and news from around the world, 24 hours a day at voanews.com. And on social media, just follow VOA News. On behalf of all of us here at VOA, we thank you very much for listening. Until next time, I'm VOA's Lori London. Washington, bam, 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 zip, D.C.